Welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast. Today's interview with Annie Giangrosso really dives into women's professional golf, and I'm pumped to share it with you all as the next Women's Major Championship of 2020 begins this week. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to share some updates for this week's ANA inspiration. Jin Young Ko is the defending champion, but she will not be defending her title this week as she remains home in the Republic of Korea due to travel concerns related to the pandemic. Someone else who will not be in the field this week is Sofia Popov, who won this year's AIG Women's Open a few weeks ago. Her win gives her an exemption to compete in the ANA, but not until 2021 and the following four years. It's just a total bummer if you're asking me. Pernilla Lindbergh, who won in 2018, will be returning to compete in the ANA, along with past champions Stacey Lewis, Lydia Ko, Brittany Lincecum, Lexi Thompson, Morgan Pressel, and in B Park. Some other women to keep your eye on are Danielle Kang, who is number two in the world upon her back-to-back wins at the restart of the season, as well as Nellie Korda and Minji Lee, who rank number three and number five, respectively. The championship is being played in Rancho Mirage, California, at the Mission Hills Country Club Dinah Shore Tournament Course. Temperatures are supposed to get as high as 108 degrees. Absolutely insane. With that, caddies will be allowed to take carts in lieu of walking alongside their player. I'll be curious to see what that looks like. If you're tuning in and interested, you can watch on Golf Channel from Thursday through Sunday, mostly in the afternoons, but we will get some primetime golf on Thursday and Friday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Now, let's get to the conversation with Annie Giangrosso. Annie and I met while we were both working for the American Junior Golf Association, and she has since joined the LPGA, where she is a manager of rules and competitions. Annie and I talked about how courses can be set up for women, why a male four handicap cannot be a LPGA player in a match, and so much more. Enjoy. All right. Thanks, Annie, for joining me today. Are you ready for your quick nine questions? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Going for a hike or walking nine? Uh, definitely hike. I'm on the golf course enough. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite beer? Um, Boulevard Tank 7, Kansas City beer. Yeah. Nice. Favorite social media channel? Definitely a Twitter person. Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Love the hot takes. Um, favorite LPGA tour stop? Uh, selfishly Portland, love the area, but if fan experience, I would definitely try to get to Meyer and Grand Rapids. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Midwest events. Yeah. Um, the last book you read. Uh, Untamed by Glennon Doyle early in the pandemic. So yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That was, um, Amanda Balionis's as well. Yeah. It's very good. To yeah. Say really. yeah. Yeah. I am last podcast you listen to. Uh, probably the No Laying Up with Sophia Popov. Listen okay. to it, yeah, during my advanced week in Arkansas, or tournament week in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> last great week. <laughs> God, what <laughs> Um, the last show you binge-watched? Uh, the, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. The F1 net drive to survive, like, yeah. Am I an F1 fan now? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, a lot of people have become F1 yeah. fans. Thank you, way. Casey Steeman, for uh, that. But yeah, it's been, it's kind of cool. The technology is awesome that they use. So I think that's what's captivating for me. Nice. nice. Um, do you prefer the driving range or playing nine? Playing nine, 100% of the time. Yeah. 
and proudest moment of your career so far? Ooh, um, probably being asked to be on the USGA Rules of Golf Committee to represent mm-hmm. the LPGA. That was that was really big for me, and I uh, just started that earlier this year. So looking forward to being able to contribute in that way for our organization. Nice, nice. Um, so I'd love to hear about your golf journey. Just if you could just share with people when you got started, high school golf, college golf. Yeah, thing. sure. So I um, – I got started, it was young for me and probably time. I started when I was like 12 or 13. So that was like the late nineties at a public golf course. My mom and dad both grew up playing golf. Um, My grandfather was a big golfer. My parents were high school sweethearts and my dad would always go play with my grandpa. Uh, So it, I don't want to say it like ran in the family. We weren't like a country club family by any means. Um, but when I was like 12 or 13, it was just something that I was interested in. Um, my brothers and sisters, we all played a lot of, um, so it was like 12 or 13. There were probably like six to eight to maybe 10 girls that played, um, in the Kansas city area that really stick out in my mind. Okay. Um, like our little group of, of junior girls. Um, and we went all the way from like par three tournaments and then we you know progressed to nine hole events and eventually you know played in high school against each other and then some of us went on to play in college um so that was you know how I got started was just little yeah um, little tournaments um and it progressed I think for everybody in their own different way um you know one of the the girls that came out of Kansas city, Courtney Jones, um, obviously had a great collegiate career. And I think if it hadn't been for some injuries would have gone on to play professionally, um, you know, and is now a coach at Washington. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to go play at KU or high school. It was close to home, probably a little closer than I would have originally thought, but it, it worked out really well. Um, but that's, you know, I got started just because I thought it'd be something to cool, cool to do like with my dad. Okay. Um, my sister, my younger sister never really, t- she was volleyball. She was um, definitely like, she majored in journalism at Missouri. So we were, you know, we were a little different, but I just thought it would be something cool to maybe know how to do. I don't think I knew that far. Like I knew I, there's no way I would have predicted that this, was going to be when I'm 12 or 13 picking up you know my mom's clubs Mm -hmm. um, and trying to hit a golf ball but um that's how I started (laughs) (laughs) and you know it is obviously served me very got me through uh college at the University of Kansas and eventually to the AJGA and LPGA so it's definitely Uh, I know I'm sure my parents spent a lot of money on my junior golf career, um, but I do think that they feel like there was a good return on their investment there. Right, right. Well, and so I I didn't even think about this before our conversation, but you brought up like Courtney Jones and like, I think it's interesting. There's so many women who play college golf, they like, or they just play in high school and then they do go on to have these careers in golf and did you like know about careers in golf or like what, 
why, you know, obviously we know about the AJJ internship, people hear about it in college, but like, did you ever imagine you would be working in golf and maybe not playing? I think so. Okay. But I think the only reason that I knew about it was because from day one, my parents were like, oh, you're 16, you need a job, you know, and yeah. even though you're going to play junior golf in the summer or play amateur golf in the summer. Like if you want spending money, this is how you're going to get it. So okay. I worked at a country club in Kansas city. I interned for the Kansas city golf association, uh, late into high school and into college because they were the only ones that understood my schedule. Um. You know, if I went to my boss at a golf association was like, Hey, I just qualified for the USAM or I qualified for X, Y, Z. Great. Okay. You've got these next couple of weeks. Like, do whatever you need to do to, to prepare and to get there. Good luck. We'll see you when you get back. So that, interesting. Um, that was huge. Yeah. So I think from the beginning, golf administration was always in my mind as a possibility. Um, because I just kind of got funneled that way to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, I could have my cake and eat it too. I could earn some money um, have some going out money, you know, going out, like as a 16 year old, like we're going to get ice cream, <laughs> really would. Um, but I could earn some money and I could practice and play and keep up an amateur career during the summers, um, and do what I needed to do. So I do think it was on my radar early. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, figured I'd land either like on the, my parents always wanted me to get like a business degree. Mm-hmm. and use golf as um a tool for business sure. right and I was like no way I'm gonna do sport management and you know I went that route and it turned out but um yeah I do think golf admin was um it was on my radar early that's nice yeah. you just never know like how it's gonna go once you get out of college and you know when I graduated it wasn't the best economy in the world. Right. Um, so kind of just got lucky. Yeah. And did you, when you were playing college golf, were you thinking in the back of your mind, like, I'm going to continue doing this and play professionally or were, you know, did, was that decided for you or? Oh yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, I did that for myself. No, I, I was average. I, in in Kansas City, like I was a good player. Yeah. And I think that's fine and well, but there was no point really where I would ever compete with the West Coast girls or, mm. you know, some of the Florida girls. Um, I don't say, I wouldn't say that like my junior career, I was like, oh, I'll never compete with them. I didn't know any better when I was a junior. I think it was when I got to college that I was like, you kind of need to make this decision. I went to college in 2004. So that was kind of the time where things started getting younger and younger and younger. Mm. I knew in college, because I was average at best college player, that a life of a professional touring pro was not in the cards for me. Okay. I um, absolutely enjoyed my time, loved being a student athlete. It just... I just felt like, and maybe I would have loved to know what my coach would say about this. 
I, I never felt like I was going to be good enough. I, I don't know. And I don't know if that was because I wasn't willing to put in the work, which I felt like I was. I don't know if I wasn't practicing the right way. I felt like I was, I could, I was never at that elite amateur level. Okay. Um, that I think, I don't want to say as a prerequisite for a professional, a good professional career, but definitely helps. I just never felt like I got there. Um, and I think in my mind, I was like, I would never, want, I would never want to live out of a suitcase and travel all the time. And here we are. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of funny how it works, but I definitely enjoy the steady paychecks. Um, sure. So it, like I said, it all works out like it should. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you kind of mentioned this at the top, but like, do you still play? Do you enjoy playing? Like what's your relationship? Yeah, good question. <laughs> um, I, since this, shut down. I have played a lot more. And I think a a lot of that is I have been away from the golf course. Like typically on a, in a normal week, I'm spending 70 to 80 hours at a golf course. Um, so in my off time, and this has gone on since high school, when I do get away from golf, I, I, I want to be away. I want to go see live music. I want to go hang with friends. I want to do the things that like normal people did that right. I feel like sometimes I missed out on in high school and college. Um, so I think that kind of carried into my professional career. I spent a ton, I spend a ton of time on a golf course. When I come back home, I want to hang by the pool. I want to be with friends. Um, but when we were trapped inside of our house, I'm like, Oh, nine holes sounds great. Right. Um, so yeah, a couple buddies have, I don't want to say like push me to play, but they're always open uh, to me playing with them. Um, and we've got an awesome golf course here, Bobby Jones in the middle right. of Atlanta that uh, was renovated, redesigned, super fun to play, welcoming for everybody. Um, and it's nine holes. And that's about my attention span um, yeah. playing golf. I <laughs> did entertain the thought several years ago with Alyssa Randolph. We were like, oh, we'll play in the USGA women's four ball. Like, this will be great. Right. We'll, you know, we could qualify for that. And I looked at my gin number and it said golfer inactive. <laughs> I was like, okay, like I appreciate the USGA is like cleaning house. Um, <laughs> but like also where's my handicap? Right. So, um, still working on reestablishing that. Um, we'll see as I, as the tour gets back going and I spend more right. time. Yeah. Who knows if I'll continue playing, but uh it's been a ton of fun. Yeah. To be I'm sure it's like reminded you a bit about like why you love yeah. the game. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And like I said, nine holes, it's super casual. You know, you're carrying your bag or you're taking a tempo walk and um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's been a nice reprieve from everything going on. Yeah. All right. Well, so we met while working at the AJGA, which is the American Junior Golf Association. And I mean, I truly tell people it's like nothing else. Like, yeah. like the staff is extremely young. Like your managers are like maybe like six months older than you. Like, yeah. I, I mean, it's just like a different, it's just a different type of organization. You yeah. like, you work a lot of long hours for being right out of college and like mm-hmm. not knowing what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, 
I did feel like it was a good base for my career. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, what did you take from the AJGA? And, and, you know, you did go from the AJGA to the LPGA, which is professional organization rather than junior. And kind of like, you know, what were you able to kind of carry over? Yeah, well, I think obviously the number one thing is that the rules knowledge. Mm. I think I had, you know, as a player, you always think you have this like decent base of rules knowledge because you're playing the game every day. Um, and I would say, while I, I did feel like I had a decent base, I didn't know a quarter of the things that I thought I knew. Um, and so being able to have that structured study environment with the AJGA, um, for us to prepare for that USGA PGA test, um, Mm. that's kind of the gold standard of officiating. Mm. That was the, you know, the biggest help for me to get from the AJGA to the, to the LPGA. Um, that score is, um, you know, I would say one of the main things that a professional organization is looking for and, you know, how do you, you know, fit into this team and how are your interactions with players? The AJGA taught me all of that. And then, you know, beyond that, on the flip side, the, I'm a 23 year old and I'm working with and for um, these tournament organizers that are two and three times my age. So how do I professionally um, you know, handle situations, good and bad, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that professional development, the, um, the collaboration, the teamwork that's necessary with, um, you know, golf courses and tournament chairmen in, you know, across the country, that was, that was a big, big part of my development. Um, I feel like I'm always on time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, very scared of being late. Um, and you know, I just, the, like I said, the, uh, the interaction with, uh, parents, with players, the trust that you've got to build, um, between, you know, a competitor and a messenger for the rules of golf, uh, that trust is big time. And, and now, I mean, look at the LPGA, a majority of those players have gone through the AJGA. Um, so I'm seeing these familiar faces pop up. And I think that, you know, gives initially gave my boss now a lot of comfort. How do you know, Jay Marie Green? How do you know, Andrea Lee? Sure. How do you know, Kyung Kim? It's like, I saw these kids grow up. Yeah. Um, you know, like I've known them for half their life. Um, so that was huge too. So yeah, they, it was definitely more than, um, you know, I think people sometimes say, well, it's a good foot in the door to the golf industry. Sure. Uh, I so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, so I would like to then, yeah, get into your role a little bit. Cause when I think of rules and competitions, I literally, I mean, I just sent you these questions, but like, I literally envisioned slugger white, like yeah. just like riding around in his cowboy hat. And obviously yeah. like, that's not everything, but like, I think for a lot of people who are just tuning in to professional events, they're like, oh, these people just like come and enforce the rules. So can you just share a little bit of what you do at the LPGA? Yeah. So we definitely do that. Um, <laughs> we are the messenger for the rules of golf, um, to the players, but like you said, there's a ton more, um, you know, on the golf course, that's a lot of what people see is the rules. And then, Hey, this group is on the clock. Well, who put them on the clock? Me. Um, or they're, you know, 
we do, I would say over the course of a day, it's 95% pace of play and 5% rules of golf, especially on the LPGA tour, or I'll speak only for the LPGA tour. Uh, we are constantly monitoring pace of play. Um, obviously all golf course setups. So tees, um, hole locations, mm. uh, that stuff is obviously done in the mornings, but we are preparing the tournament golf course for competition every day. So that's tournament week. Um, I think I mentioned to you, I'll be going out to Portland. I'm the advance official for that. And that is a lot of, um, it's more administrative, but also plus the golf course stuff. So as the advance official, I'm basically the liaison um, for the LPGA to the tournament organizer. So in Portland's case, like an IMG, um, and any information that a player needs for that tour stop is going to come from the advance official. So I'll have like five or six advances a year. Mm. Um, and I'm working with a superintendent. I'm working with a GM of the, of the club, if need be. Um, I'm working with a tournament organizer um, just to make sure like LPGA protocols, policies, especially during this time are in place um, so that when an LPGA Tour player arrives on site, they know where everything is. And from week to week, things aren't that different. Sure. Um, you know, the site might be different, but um, they know that they are going to find the fitness trailer at this location. So, and Paul's club repair trailer here, and these are the driving range hours. And, and even down to things like, hey, we're, we're going to release, like we do pairings. So there's a, a list of things uh, under that admin um checklist if you will that that I do during that advance week but um I would say the most familiar thing for for people is hey I do golf course setup um and I'm there for the rules and pace of play yeah that's what everybody will see during tournament week or on right. tv so right but it yeah I think it, it is good to know just like you know there is a whole other side of operations that goes into it. Yes. Yeah. They are definitely big, uh, undertakings. Every single professional golf event is, um, so just kind of orchestrating that, uh, yeah. the week prior so that everything from volunteers to golf channel to our players and caddies that everybody feels taken care of, mm. um, that everybody is in the loop and, uh, it's going to be, you know, an easy, seamless, stress-free week weather pending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about like your perspective on just women's professional golf in general. You've been in it for a while. You've also like seen it from, you know, this junior perspective and moving up to professional golf, but like from the beginning, what would you, I think I first would love to know, like, what do you notice in these golfers when they go from that junior and college stage to becoming professional? Do you notice a change in who they are or like what, what does that look like? I wouldn't necessarily say we notice a change or I haven't noticed a change in who they are. Um, I think that now more than ever, our rookies come out and they're ready to compete. Mm. And, and if they've been through the Symmetra tour, then they're even more ready to compete. Yeah. But I think we do see now you've got, you know, players, um, those top five college players that are getting into Q series that get through Q series and are out on tour as a rookie. Mm -hmm. Um, holy cow, like, and, and I'm only seven years into professional golf. Um, and I've, I, I feel like I see this 
it's already shifted massively where maybe seven years ago I'd have been like, oh, they're a rookie. Like they may stick around, but okay. they're probably going to go back to Symmetra. I think Symmetra has built such a base now um, getting, you know, your Europeans, um, you know, Thai, Chinese, Japanese players. Like we've got it all on Symmetra. Um, okay. So it's more of a feed, actual feeder. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so it, it, you know, obviously strengthens Symmetra and then strengthens the LPGA because we don't send them right back after a year of having their card. Got so it. I'd say that's the biggest thing is they're ready to play, you know, from the get go. And we're seeing that this year with, you know, Andrea Lee and Haley and um, it's, it's wild to yeah, be. They're finishing like, in the top 25 yeah. at these major events. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> you're 22 years old, you yeah. know, like. Um, and then you add on top of that, they're booking their own travel and yeah, they're navigating this landscape of professional golf when a year ago they had a coach and an assistant and maybe a senior women's administrator and, yeah. uh, you know, helping them do all this. They just had to show up. Um, so they're navigating obviously the golf courses, but the tour stops. Um, and that's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah, I would. So I feel like you kind of alluded to it like that. That to me would probably be one misconception about women's professional golf is like, you don't realize how much of it they do themselves. Mm -hmm. Of course, they have agents and like people to help them through all of this. But I'm sure a lot of I mean, just like talking to some of them in Toledo, like they booked their own travel in their hotels and figured out like how to navigate COVID and like, <laughs> yeah. like, it's just a whole other thing. But what, what would you say are maybe some other misconceptions about women's golf that we can help? you know, change the stigma of? Oh gosh. It's like, where do you start? Yeah. Um, the one that sticks out to me and we've talked about this before is, is this notion that, and I think it's across all women's sports, women's yeah. professional sports is like, well, they don't hit it as far as the guys. So they must not be as good or, you know, a, a WNBA players, well, 95% of them can't dunk. So like an average Joe would be able to take them. Um, just this misconception that because they don't have like driver gap wedge into a 450 or 70 yard par four, that they're somehow less than their male counterparts. Mm -hmm. um, when I would say from somebody who sets up the golf courses yard for yard our ladies play it longer based on how far they hit the ball than the men do mm. um you know they consistently have longer clubs into the greens right. with lower launch angles um it makes it harder for the ball to stop you know golf courses are not built for professional women modern day golf courses aren't built for professional women. We see some of these old classic golf courses that are very well suited uh, to mm. the game. But I think that the hard part for people to understand is these are the best women in the world. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and it just blows my mind that because they don't hit it 350 yards, it's, it's like none of the rest of it matters. Like, do we be <laughs> like strategically, tactically around the greens, their touch, their putting strokes, their putting stats, I'd put them up against anybody in the world, male or female. Sure. Um, 
I just think it's that old, like, well, the guys are better than the girls. Like, let's break it down. Right. Um, yeah. Because when, yeah, when you look at the golf courses, when you look at um, the yardages, when you look at the clubs they have in their hands, I'd, I'd put them up against anybody in the world. But if you haven't seen it, and right. when you don't see it day in and day out, I certainly, um, I don't want to say understand because I'm not sure I still would, but I, I can see how somebody could get there mm-hmm. um, when you haven't been at a high level women's amateur event or a professional women's event. Um, I just think it's ignorance. I think it's, um, it's, well, they're not as good as the guys and that's just, it's, that's not good enough. Right. I do have two questions for you based off of what you just said. So one, you mentioned like that golf courses and modern golf courses are set up well, not, not as well for women. What would make a course that is set up for women well? I think the biggest thing um, from my perspective is when they hit their drives, uh-huh. does it get them to a spot where they have an appropriate club into the green? Okay. That's the biggest thing I think we fight on the LPGA tours because the landing areas for off the tee um, aren't set up well for then our players to have what we believe they should have into a green. So Got it. Um, if you have, you know, if you've got a large green, but it definitely has like these different segments or quadrants, right. Where you feel like you need a nine iron, you know, to loft the ball up and get it to land softly and have a little spin. Mm -hmm. The landing area, a lot of times we find, or sometimes we find our players don't have an iron. They have a six iron. Um, And that's the problem with some of these, modern more modern newer golf courses um they're just they're set up to play from like the back tee or the second to back tee um and that doesn't showcase our players well so when we you know go to some of these older classic golf courses where when they were built the back tees are 6800 yards and our ladies are playing from 65 66 like that's in our wheelhouse all day Um, in the appropriate spots. um, You know, there are appropriate landing areas, there are appropriate clubs into greens. um, And then it gets even tougher because then, you know, the perception say, well, why aren't they playing from the back tees if they're the professionals? Right. And then it just like, it it doesn't help anybody. No, you know, they don't have the context. Physics is still, applicable here right like (laughs) our players just don't generate the type of speed and strength that the men do they never will um like in my opinion having a six iron into a green is okay as long as that green can hold a six iron right um and that's not the case everywhere so uh it is a battle for sure um but I think, you know, we are lucky enough to work with, you know, the USGA, PGA of America, the RNA has been a great partner. And so we're seeing now some of these golf courses coming into these ro- rotations. Um, and there are these old classic golf courses that are going to set up really well, I think, for our players and their skills 
in the modern day. Um, yeah. So if, yeah, that's, and that's really cool to see. And it's, it's a testament to, I think, how um, people are now paying more attention to women's sport mm-hmm. um, and investing in that. And, um, you know, we don't go to a Muirfield or a Carnoustie without um, a lot of people being on our side. So sure. it's, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. And I think to, you know, relate it back to amateur golfers, you know, so there's, there are forward tees that are typically played by a lot of women, mm-hmm. but sometimes at golf courses, they are not set up really well because the, that wasn't the first thought, the first thought no. set up the tips and then they yes. you know set up everybody else. So I'll be playing. I always play from the forward tees and I'll be like placed in front of a tree or right behind yeah. the tree. And I'm like, well, that's complete afterthought, <laughs> complete afterthought. They're just like, oh, we're going to mow this area of grass a little tighter. Right. So, and, and so you have to look at like the full landscape of who's playing your golf course and like then set it up correctly. So of course it like, it totally matters in professional golf, but it trickles down even to amateur golf and where yeah. a lot of women are teeing off from every day. Yeah. It, yeah. And it is very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, you could talk forever about it. And yes. that's okay. Yeah. I feel like I could. Yeah. It, the, the fact that that's an afterthought when and I know this, they're two separate things because obviously golf courses that we're dealing with now were built X number of years ago. But now when we're looking at the fastest growing segment of golf being junior girls, like, okay, we've got to start paying attention to how golf courses are going to set up. I talked earlier about Bobby Jones in Atlanta and there's like eight different tees that's awesome they're not labeled forward tees it's literally like eight seven six five four three they're numbers you just tee off from wherever you want and it's like an you know kind of this like big open field um and you play the hole however you see fit and it just that's the way I think the future of golf and so hopefully there isn't this bias towards I think you're always going to have the country club where there's back tees and middle tees and forward tees, senior tees or whatever you call them. But I do think the way of public golf will um, be more inclusive, right? Um, Of not only every age, but every gender and not necessarily label, you know, put one demographic in to a certain tee. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's the way it will go. But um, in my world, it is a touch frustrating. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And then it, yeah, it doesn't help that it then trickles down to everybody else. Yes. So. Yeah. Twitter. Um, <laughs> so yeah, about like, I think it was like a month ago, it was in like the heat of COVID when everybody was on Twitter, somebody like came out and said that he was for handicap and he could be an LPGA player. And you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but like, and I, and we know why people think that they can do that. We've discussed that now, but I think what are certain elements about a female professional golfer's game that makes them, you know, sets them apart from an amateur golfer? What do they, what do they do so much better? Why, right. why did they make it to the LPGA? Yeah. Um, I would say the reason that they made it to the LPGA is, I mean, it's obviously a compilation of, so many of several different things, but I think when you look at, um, the stats, I think the things that stand out mm-hmm. are going to be um, your driving accuracy. I mean, I was looking at stats earlier today, and I think the number one player on the LPGA right now for driving accuracy hits almost 87% of her fairways. 
in the middle, our, our average is 71% wow. of fairways hit. So there's first step, right? Um, and like I said, I would put their short games up against anybody in the world. They can get it in the hole quicker than anybody in the world, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think our stats back us up on that, but there's something um, about just professional golfers in general where it's their course management um, and then playing within themselves. Um, they don't have big numbers like a regular amateur would. Sure. Um, they can navigate their way around and they're going to, um, you know, they may not hit, they may not hit a wedge out of a rough from 170 yards or 150 yards to 10 feet every time. Um, but they'll hit a nine iron to 20 feet and make the putt. So it's just stuff like that. Like the game looks different from the guy's game. Um, Uh, yeah, but they still get the ball in the hole. Um, you know, better than anybody in the world. I think that for handicap, there's a lot of things wrong with that tweet, right? Like we don't play from the forward tees as we've already discussed. Right. Um, And under the, under the gun, like you heard Austin Ernst talk about in Arkansas, like I really feel like I played well under the gun. They're under the gun four days a week. Um, Right. And as a four handicap, like, please tell me when you're under the gun. (laughs) um and like what that looks like because it's it's just not the same um and I'd be hard-pressed to find any four handicap that could shoot in the mid-60s from any team right an LPGA player standing next to them or a golf channel crew standing next to them so it's just not the same it's (laughs) It's kind of like hate to break it to you right you know, for me, it's like how anybody says they can do social media and the <laughs> social. And I'm like, go for it. You, you go on the total title of social media account. Yeah. And let me know how that goes. Have you <laughs> ever seen the, um, this comes up like once every two years in my group of friends. And I think that it's kind of like a running joke on Twitter as well. Like when the Olympics come up and they're like, they should put an average man or like an average person. Oh, yeah. And compete in the Olympics. Just to show. Yeah, just to show you guys how much, like, exceptionally better these women and men are than you. <laughs> I mean, the, the it's funny. I think, like, the, the Barstool Golf Podcast foreplay, like, they were, like, they should literally put one of us out there at an event. Yeah. To show how terrible <laughs> amateur golfers are compared yeah, to Yeah, yes. Golfers. It's, um, I think, but the cool thing for me about women's golf is, like, also how relatable it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't drive it, you know, those players don't drive it 330, 340. And then have we're averaging 255. So it is more relatable. Yeah. Um, And that's why I think it kind of does um, speak to a lot of people, right? Is I can't do what Dustin Johnson does, um, but I can do what Mariah Stackhouse does once in a great while. Right. You know, like I can maybe get it out there 250. Now from my drive, like I'm probably going to take more strokes than Mariah is to get it in the hole. Um, but their swings and their tempos are much more relatable. The distances are way more relatable. You know, if, if one yeah. of our players has a seven iron off a par three from 160 yards, like I can see where that would be relatable. Um, so I and do think that that's... clubs in the bag, like I can see somebody hitting a hybrid 
and I might yeah, never see exactly. So hit it. Yeah. I don't know it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I do think that's kind of, that is one of the cool things about our tour is, um, hey, come see for yourself. Come see the trajectory. Come see how they play their shots around the greens. Like you may be able to pick up a few things and actually use them. You know, right. next time you're out playing. So. So to wrap up like the LPGA conversation, I am curious, like if you're new to like, you're like, Hey, I want to, I want to watch women's professional golf. I don't really know who to cheer for. I don't know who these players are. Like, what are your suggestions? Like, I don't want to like put you on the spot and ask you like who to follow, but like, just what do you suggest if like you're really new to women's professional golf? Yeah. Great question. I think the cool thing about the LPGA and we saw it last week at AIG women's open was every week is a new ball game. And we feel like there are hundreds of players every week that could not only compete, but win. And we saw that with Sophia. I mean, what a great story. Um, Did she come out of the blue? Yeah, but she played really, really good, gutsy, well-managed golf. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's normal for us, right? Yeah. So would I say you have to pick one person? No, because the stories on our tour, I feel like are endless. Like, yeah, you've got a Sophia who's kind of battled back and forth and been on some on the LPGA, definitely paid her dues. Um, But like she said, felt like everything was like falling into place until he was there. Um, I also think like we alluded to her earlier, like Andrea Lee, amazing collegiate career, you know, has qualified herself into the ANA. Um, Lindsay Weaver. Yeah. uh, This is her second year on tour. In the push part. (laughs) Um, But another good collegiate player, amateur player. Um, And then you've got like Patty Tavitanikit, I believe is how you say her name. Um, She blew through Symmetra last year. And I've heard Symmetra players (laughs) had asked, could we, because she was obviously number one money list on Symmetra, I've heard that Symmetra Tour players jokingly had asked some of our executive leadership team, can we just not count Patty? And, you and can then everybody under. And from the number two to a number 11, because she just dominated uh, <laughs> last year on Symmetra. So, you know, I feel like every year we've got like seven rookies that um not only are their stories really cool but they're just talented and like ready to go right out of the box so um you know a and a is always um you know even from the craft nabisco days i've always placed a, a large emphasis on uh the amateur game and growing that and providing opportunities for amateurs so definitely take a look at that field list um i'm sure several amateurs in that field that you will see um Mm. into their professional career uh succeed so they've always done a really good job of identifying those players early on so nice all right well i cap off every episode with what advice you have for women who'd like to pick up the game of golf great question i would say um just do what makes you feel the most comfortable if that's volunteering for a junior mm. event to get involved, it's, that's great. Mm-hmm. If there's a PGA or LPGA event to volunteer at, great. If you feel comfortable going to the driving range, awesome. If you want to try out a par three golf course, cool. 
if you are a nine and wine person, which I aspire to be when I retire, um, do that. But there's a lot of resources to be able to help you to do that. Um, Under the LPGA umbrella, we have the LPGA Women's Network, which is kind of like a more online thing. Yep. uh, Provides resources. But then we also have this other arm, LPGA Amateur. And that um, is an awesome resource for like events locally for you and like mm-hmm. chapters um, and it's all different skill levels. Um, so there are definitely resources, you know, inside and outside of the LPGA um, for you to just be involved however you want. I do think though, like when you come out to one of our events, like you're going to be hooked. Yeah. Um, and I think you're going to want to do more. So start small, start, start with whoever you feel most comfortable with. Um, and just go from there, have fun. Um, it doesn't need to be competitive. I have found the most joy in, um, not being competitive, right. And just having fun and, and, you know, hanging out with my friends and, um, play in nine holes and being good with that and whatever I shoot I shoot like nobody is attaching a score to your um, to your nine holes so do whatever makes you feel comfortable and and there are a lot of other ways to be involved besides actually playing yeah no I love that so thank you and thank you for your time and yeah. your, your insight it was, yeah. it was awesome so thank you fun. Cool. good good Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For The Ladies, visit us at fortheladies.net and on Instagram at fortheladies. That's F-O-R-E.